0: engaging leader podcast episode 87 talk like ted three secrets to radically improve your presentations featuring carmine gallo your leadership inspires trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Ideas are the currency of the 21st century. You can have brilliant ideas, but if you can't persuade others to act, those ideas don't matter. Now, in 2006, the famous TED conference began streaming 18-minute presentations from the world's top minds for free. And today, those talks are viewed more than 2 million times a day. And they've pretty much become the gold standard in public speaking and presentation skills. So like it or not, your next presentation will probably be compared to a TED talk. Carmine Gallo is a communication coach for some of the world's most admired brands, including Intel, Coca-Cola, Cisco, Google, Disney, and more. He writes the Forbes.com column, My Communication Coach, and he's the author of seven books, including the recent bestseller, The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. Now, his latest book is Talk Like Ted, The Nine Public Speaking Secrets of the World's Top Minds, and we're going to talk to him today about what we can learn from Ted and why that's important for us. Carmine Gallo, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader.
1: Oh, Excellent. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for inviting me. I, I love your audience. I think this is a perfect type of audience for this content.
0: Carmine, I have to admit, I didn't read the presentation secrets of Steve Jobs but I really wanted to. I, 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 It caught my eye when it came out, and I just never got around to it. But when I saw this book that came out about the presentation secrets of TED presenters as a whole, uh, I thought, now this one I just can't miss. And I, as I read this book, I thought it seemed like a lot of the things that we that Steve Jobs did was actually reflected in the same research that came from the TED presenters. Is that true?
1: What's interesting about the observation that you made is that I I, I wrote a book called The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. That came out in 2009 and became an international bestseller. And I was really, really proud of it. And a lot of people asked, well, what's next? Well, at once you cover the world's greatest corporate storyteller, Steve Jobs, <laughs> it's really hard to find another person. It really was. I looked. I, I searched all over the world. I was everywhere I went. I, I always wanted to find the next Steve Jobs in terms of the just the business storytelling. He was magnificent. Totally changed the way people give presentations, at least in the business setting. Uh, And I couldn't find one person, but I've always been attracted to TED. Just as a communication uh, specialist, I, I enjoy TED Talks, and obviously they're viral. But I realize that there's a lot of science behind them. There's a lot of science behind why they work. For example, 18 minutes, which we'll get to in this podcast. Why 18 minutes? Why does that work so well? Why are all TED Talks limited to 18 minutes? And there was definitely a pattern. So I studied 150 TED Talks specifically for research into this book, um, more than about 500 hours, uh, no, 500 TED Talks, about 150 hours worth of TED Talks. Not all of them are great. No, no, no! Not just because you deliver a TED talk on a TED stage doesn't mean that you're one of the world's great presenters. So I categorized them by uh, the ones that were the most viral, the most popular, uh, longest standing ovations, you know, things like that. Uh, And I I arrived at some very specific conclusions. Once I arrived at those conclusions. I took two more steps. I interviewed some of the most popular TED presenters, the actual people who gave the presentations. So that's something that you can't learn anywhere else. And then I also talked to neuroscientists and researchers in the field of persuasion. Why is it that these things work? And more importantly, how can all communicators, especially internal communicators, if you're trying to solicit uh, and invite change from your audience, how can you persuade your audience to action? and that's what i try to focus on
0: i guess the big question for a lot of our listeners if if you're giving a presentation internally to your organization at your uh, at your company and people do this all the time in the corporate world you're giving probably a week doesn't go by with, with without giving some sort of presentation even if it's just an informal one on one do the principles of Ted really translate to that world where most people think of a presentation as i put some bullet points on a powerpoint and call it good
1: oh without question without question you you mentioned it Jesse you just said it at the beginning of the podcast when you introduced me like it or not i love this like it or not you're being compared to ted i hear this all the time uh internally people your audience employees uh your external audience whomever they are now familiar with Ted-style presentations. They are familiar with Steve Jobs-style presentations. When I travel around the world, whether it's Japan or Europe, people come up to me and they say, and they've said this, Jesse, we love the American style. They call it the Mm -hmm. American style. They're not even sure what they're saying, right? It's just the American style. Well, what they mean is the Ted style, the Steve Jobs style. What is that? It's, it's more engaging. It's more interesting. It's more visual. But you also asked, does it apply internally? Let me give you a real-world example, because this blew me away. I was invited uh, two years ago to speak to nuclear scientists at, in New Mexico at Sandia National Labs. Nuclear scientists are the toughest audience you'll ever get. Because, well, first of all, nothing is more complicated than nu- nuclear science. <laughs> and when I <laughs> delivered a lot of the uh, the methods that you and I are going to talk about, there was a lot of pushback, a ton of pushback. You, you could just imagine the density of their PowerPoint presentations and they said uh, and many of them said well i don't know if this will work internally and uh, well you just want me to put a picture on a slide that's crazy yeah a lot of pushback i explained the i really had to explain the science behind it and this was a full day workshop two weeks later uh the the head of that department emailed me, and they said one person in the group actually delivered a safety briefing, which are really important, as you can imagine, when it comes to nuclear stockpiles. Mm-hmm. He delivered a safety briefing, best safety briefing we've ever seen, and he took a lot of the concepts from what you taught. Many of those con- Most of those concepts are exactly what you and I will be talking about. So, yeah, this applies to anything. And if you think... By the way, this is what I learned a couple of years ago. If you think that your topic is more complicated than nuclear science, you're wrong because it's not.
0: Yeah, that's it's hard to make that argument. We all top, often think, well, our topic is so complicated, but uh, it, it's not rocket science, right? It's I mean, everything compared to nuclear science and rocket science is not rocket science. So nothing is going to be more complicated truly than they are.
1: And and even internally, I heard from somebody, you know, another true, true life uh, example. I heard from a gentleman who works at a very large uh, technology, global technology company. It has 80,000 employees. He's a mid-level manager, uh, and he has started giving presentations in in this style, in this TED-like style. He's been doing it for about two years, and he is... Elevated, within the organization, he has now been tapped as an evangelist. And they've actually given him the title evangelist. He lives in Canada, but they are actually sending him all over the world to talk to internal audiences and also to, uh, to pitch the company's products externally. Even though regional account managers are the ones who are supposed to give the pitch, they are asking for him to be the one. The, this, this one person who's doing these TED-style presentations, because, they, because it's connecting with their audiences better. So they are elevating him. He's an evangelist. He's traveling around the world, and he sent me an email, and he said, Carmine, I am now one step closer to running my own country, to being what's called a country manager, which internally means an, uh, $1 million in salary and bonus. Wow. So in other words, if it's not it's his presentation skills that are getting him noticed internally because in, in think about it, Jesse, 80,000 person company, how, how are you going to get noticed? Mm-hmm. It's his communication skills, his ability to present better, more persuasively. That's what's getting him noticed. So presentation skills apply to anybody in any level of the organization.
0: Well, for the benefit of any of our listeners who are not familiar with TED Talks, uh, it, you can find it online just at TED.com. It's T as in technology, E as in engineering, and D as in design. But if you go to TED.com, I guarantee you will find topics that will interest you. There's a, uh, all sorts of, on uh, a range of topics, they've expanded beyond just those three original topics. Now, Carmine, let's go ahead and jump into some of the uh, ideas from your book. The book has nine secrets, and I'd like to focus on three of them that I think all of us would probably agree that internal presentation givers break all the time, that that we we tend to screw this up. So, um, And the first one is in your book, it's about storytelling, which seems really... Basic, but it's uh, extremely important and and powerful.
1: Jesse, I'm going to talk about storytelling for your audience. But remind me before we're done with this podcast, I want to focus on one extra. I want to I want to do an extra bonus secret, and I'd like to know from you why you focused on three, because that's actually an, an entire <laughs> chapter. So we're going to. So we're, but let's talk about stories first. Let's talk about stories as one technique. TED Talks and all great presentations, all great business presentations, are heavy on stories. And yet, so very few, very few of us in business today are storytellers. We're all about facts, figures, data, talking points, marketing messages. Nobody tells stories. And I can say that with confidence because I watch executives and I work with executives every day. Very few people tell stories unless they're reminded about stories. And even then, they're reluctant. Let me give you an example of what we mean by storytelling. Sheryl Sandberg is the COO of Facebook. And many of your listeners are going to know who she is, obviously, because she has a best-selling book called Lean In. Mm -hmm. And she started an entire movement called Lean In, encouraging young women to pursue their goals and, and careers. I argue that that movement, Lean In, would never have started. Millions of women would not be involved in it if it had not been for a very persuasive TED Talk that Sheryl Sandberg gave, I believe, in 2010, so not too many years ago. Uh, but her her TED Talk was heavy on stories. She told a lot of personal stories in that TED Talk. But, but here's the point that a lot of people don't know. Her original TED Talk was going to be heavy on data. She even acknowledged that recently. Sheryl Sandberg said, I was going to give a presentation on data and the data showing how women still have a long way to go when it comes to succeeding in corporate America. Instead, a friend of hers pulled her aside right before the presentation and said, uh, you know, Cheryl, you seem a little out of sorts today. What's going on? And Cheryl Sandberg told her, "Well, you know, I I was on my way to the conference, but before I left the house, my little daughter was grabbing at me and tugging on me and crying and she said, "Mommy, don't go." And the friend suggested, "Why don't you tell that story because you'll make a connection with the women in your audience because after all, you are talking about balancing, you know, home and work." Mhm. Cheryl Sandberg's original uh um, observation was, you're kidding, right? You, you want me to tell that story in front of people publicly? Uh, and she got over it, and she realized, yeah, in order to touch people, I need to tell these stories. So she told those stories, the video goes viral, launches a best-selling book, launches a movement. I, I argue a movement would never have started if it had not been for Sheryl Sandberg telling personal stories. In the 500 Uh, TED Talks that I analyzed, this is is a really powerful information for everybody listening. 65% of the content, if you kind of break it down, you categorize the content, 65% falls under storytelling, 65% of the best TED Talks. The content falls under storytelling. About 25% can be categorized, uh, if we go by Aristotle's like, method of persuasion, 25% is logos, which means logic. I'm appealing to your logic by giving you data, statistics, numbers. And about 10% falls under establishing my credibility of, of why I'm tell- giving you this information. But 65% stories. And yet, most of us, Jesse, uh, myself included, you know, and, until I really started thinking seriously about the way I present, so many of us do the opposite, don't we? We provide all the data and the talking points and the statistics that back up our argument, but how how much of our presentation is actually emotional and storytelling? So you really have to turn your organization and uh, your presentations into a much richer storytelling presentations.
0: So all the way back to the days of Aristotle, there was a recognition that to influence people using rhetoric and the the other persuasion skills involved more than just logic. It involved more than just establishing credibility. That's the logos and the ethos. But the emotional aspect, uh, which Aristotle called the pathos, was was huge and we forget about it all the time. I just, because I had that statistic from your book, I just was talking to a leader recently and I, helping him evaluate his most recent presentation. And we agreed that he probably had at most, if if we sort of, if we kind of counted an example he gave as a story, then maybe 5% of his presentation was story and emotional connection and the rest, he was all trying all to do all the, the logic. But, uh, but following the example of Ted, it really needs to be more like 65% of content has to be stories or somehow emotionally connecting with people.
1: That's, I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm glad you were able to apply that. Uh, you're absolutely right. And this isn't brand new uh, information, because you're right, it goes back thousands of years to Aristotle. And Dale Carnegie, Well, I think his first book was in the early 1900s. He talked about the power of stories. Uh, so some people have said, "Well, this isn't a secret." Uh, well, actually, it is to most people because they don't use it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I am revealing something new because most people don't use it. But but here is what's different. Here's what's new uh, since the days of Dale Carnegie. We now know that Carnegie was right. We knew. We know that Aristotle was right. We actually know that scientifically. I talked to some researchers. At Princeton University, and they're actually doing research into storytelling where they hook people up to electrodes, you know, like MRI machines, and they have people tell stories to one another. When I tell you a story, Jesse, a personal story, the same regions of our brains light up. In other words, that's where the blood flow is, so they can see this scientifically. They can see that the same regions are activated. If I were to say, tell you the exact same story in another language that you did not understand, we wouldn't, it wouldn't have the same effect. So stories literally sync our minds to one another. So if you're not telling stories that reinforce your theme, you're really losing an opportunity to touch people and to inspire and, as many HR people need to do, move employees to action.
0: So if I want to get their brains lighting up uh, similarly to mine and, and think along the lines that I'm thinking and consider my ideas and remember them, tell stories.
1: And it doesn't have tell stories, absolutely, because stories inform, they illuminate, they inspire. But it doesn't have to be a story about yourself. It doesn't have to be a story about, hey, here's what happened to Jesse on the way to the meeting. It can be about somebody in the audience. It can be uh, a story of another employee in another company or someone in a past company. It can be a case study if you're giving any kind of presentation to external uh, External clients or prospects, and you're trying to win their business. They, it can be a case study, uh, it, and even with HR, I mean, let's t- let's get away from presentations. I've, I've talked to a number of HR people. Some of the more inspiring ones that that I hear from try to are, are actively, obviously, in the recruiting sector, and some of them work for tech companies that are highly competitive, where they, where they are uh, trying to recruit people and hold on to those people rather than have them go to the tech company down the street. I live in Silicon Valley, so there's a lot of that. Uh, they, the most successful ones are the ones who tell stories. You know, let us, let me tell you a story about our culture and why I think you'll like it here. So they go beyond just the data instead of, uh, here are all of the benefits and perks we offer, and here's the data behind it. No, instead, let me tell you a story of, you know, person XYZ and the experience they're having here. That's going to be much more impactful than just giving me the data of why it should work for you.
0: Well, a second great secret that your research pulls from the TED Talks and internal presenters get wrong all the time is Brevity.
1: All TED talks are limited to 18 minutes. Now, some people don't know that. Uh, you know, obviously, people who are TEDsters, you know, who love TED talks, are very familiar with that. But many people don't. They don't know that. So, all TED talks are limited to 18 minutes. That means if your name is Bill Gates or Sheryl Sandberg or uh, Bono who gave, you know, U2's Bono, he gave a TED Talk last year. Uh, You don't get more than 18 minutes. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, literally, if you're 18 minutes and two seconds, they they drag you off the stage. So no one gets more than 18 minutes. 18 minutes is a fascinating rule a guideline because if you think about it, and actually this is why ted came up with it ted realized that the organization as a whole realized early on that 18 minutes for a presentation was enough time to have a serious discussion but not long enough to where the audience would get bored and lose their attention so just long enough to have a serious discussion but not too long 18 minutes is what they arrived at Now, if you think about it, Jesse, a a lot of the great speeches have all been under 18 minutes. John Kennedy's inaugural was about 15 minutes. Uh, Steve Jobs gave a commencement speech in 2005. It's the most popular commencement speech of all time. Stanford University, 15 minutes. (laughs) Martin Luther King went... Seventeen minutes. So with "I Have a Dream," so it's a lot. You can get a lot of information across in in eighteen minutes. But what I found, and this is what's relevant for all of your uh, listeners today, is that there is science behind this. Uh, depending on what research you you review, anywhere between ten to eighteen minutes is the the golden the magical window of presentations, anywhere between 10 to 18 minutes. Some scientists have put it closer to 10, some closer to 18, which simply means that if you speak or you give a presentation that is significantly longer than, let's say, 10 to 18 minutes, it doesn't matter how charismatic you are. It doesn't matter how engaging you think you are as a speaker. You'll lose the audience's attention. It's called cognitive backlog. That's a new term for me. I didn't understand that. I didn't know what that was, but I learned it through all my research. Cognitive backlog, which simply means that if you give people too much information, uh, they'll drop the whole thing. It's like a a load of weights. You keep piling information on me. Uh, I can can gather it in about 10 to 18 minutes. Uh, That's enough information. I can take it and act on it. You give me an hour's worth of information, I won't remember a thing. Now, you can say, well, we're going longer than that on this podcast. It's 25, 30 minutes. That's okay. There's two voices being introduced. So in other words, you can speak for more than 18 minutes, but break it up. Give your audience a break from one voice. Uh, Turn to them. Have some Q&A. Maybe get some questions from the audience or have them participate in some way. Introduce a different speaker for a few minutes. Uh, introduce a video in the presentation. There are many different ways of re-engaging your audience, but don't just deliver a presentation with one voice and no audience participation for more than 18 minutes, or they will tune out. I mean, scientifically, we know that they will tune out of your of your content.
0: It's interesting that it's in the brevity chapter where you introduce the rule of three, which you alluded to earlier, and that's why I picked three secrets to share in this conversation. But it does, when you when you use think about the w- rule of three, it it can go a long way toward helping you be brief because it it um, forces you to get rid of a lot of other things and focus on three just three topics. Like I love the story you tell in the book about the guy who I think the he had a web a website about. Uh, everything that was awesome, but his TED Talk was just the three A's of awesome.
1: Oh, that's right. Yes. Um, And that was a gentleman who had a book. I think it was 1,000 Ways, something like that, to be awesome. That's right. But but instead, uh, his 18 minutes focused on the three A's of awesome. Uh, Three is a powerful number, and all of your listeners can use this immediately like right now, today, in the very next pitch, presentation, or conversation. In communication theory, three is the most powerful number. It simply means that in short-term or working memory, you can only retain about three points of information three that's that's about it uh you could be a freak and maybe retain 50 you know every, <laughs> but, but, but that's at the opposite end of the bell curve most of us average people retain about three points so if you give a potential recruit so let's say you're an hr and you give your uh you're recruiting somebody you give them you know 28 reasons to join the company they're going to forget everything if you give your employees uh 33 features of the new program Uh, or the new initiative, they're going to forget everything. So uh, yes, I have nine secrets or techniques in my book, but it's broken up into three big categories, three big chunks. It's interesting that you chose for this podcast, let's focus on three. You intuitively understand that nine is too much, especially for 20 minutes. How are we going to get through nine things? That's too much. But three, even if think about the listener, the listener is going to say, so there's three things I can do to improve my next presentation, according to Carmine and Jesse. Uh, let's see. Tell more stories. Keep it brief. Add pictures. It's, it's easy for them to grasp. If we were to sit here, you and I, and go over, you know, 12 different techniques, they wouldn't remember a thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's like uh, how a lot of the numbers that we try to remember a social security number or a phone number they're they put in tend to, we we tend to remember them in groups of 3 or 4.
1: Brilliant. Yeah, that that's exactly why uh the phone number actually there's research going back to 1950s or 40s. Uh, they did find that the number 7, the reason why the phone number is is 7 because people could only remember uh 5 to 7 numbers total. Once you gave people 8 they forgot all the previous <laughs> so seven. So seven is sort of the limit. Yeah, So, But think about how we remember phone numbers. We chunk, right? It's called chunking. So you take it in three and four. So why not chunk your presentation into three or four segments? And that's a great outline, too. It makes it really mm-hmm. easy to be able to say there's three new features of our program that I want to talk to you about. Or, or, I, or I'd l- like to talk to you about our new 401k plan. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's three features I want to focus on today, A, B, and C. It just makes it, it makes it easy for you. It makes it easy for your listeners to follow.
0: And then just to combine that with the first point about telling stories, if you have a presentation, you can just organize it around three stories, essentially, that make the three points that you're trying to make.
1: Well, I'll tell you something uncanny, Jesse. Uh, th- this surprised me. I lost count. Of how many of the best TED talks have three stories in them?
0: Hmm.
1: So I, I think people just do this into good communicators do this intuitively. Cheryl I, I, Sandberg, we just talked about Cheryl Sandberg. I mm-hmm. think she had three stories. So the best communicators understand that I, I I can't deliver eighteen stories, but one is too little. Two, it seems like a strange number. It's almost like your your brain. Needs the third to round out to round it out. That that that's why three is such a powerful number. Great authors know this right uh the three little pigs you know th- this goes back historically the three little pigs the three musketeers the three little the three bears <laughs> you know authors know this uh thomas jefferson knew it the, the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness he didn't he, he didn't give us you know 32 things we were entitled <laughs> to uh so yeah it was, stick to the rule of 3 it works really well so
0: we had stories we had brevity which the the rule of 3 can help us be brief uh, or even just the 10-minute, uh, stick to the 18-minute rule. And then the third uh, is pictures over text.
1: This is the most controversial. So it, I expect a little pushback from the audience, uh, but I think intuitively everybody's going to be nodding in agreement. It's uh, it, it's the one, though, that takes little, a little extra step. Uh, nobody wants to watch old-school PowerPoints anymore with uh, text and bullet points. In fact, uh, we know scientifically that is the worst way of delivering information, and yet most of us still do it. I have watched some of the most brilliant TED Talks, the ones that get standing ovations, Okay, the ones that uh, go viral. These are full presentations. It's hard to find any slides that have bullet points on them. There's text and there's words, certainly. I'm not telling you not to, not ever to put any text on a slide anymore. Uh, but if you have a slide that has, you know, 50, 40, 50 words, which is the average PowerPoint slide, by the way, has 40 words, uh, that would never make it on a TED stage, ever. Most of it is photographs, images, animations, and a few select words. I just saw a TED Talk from this year, from 2014. Uh, TED was held in Vancouver celebrating its 30th anniversary. Uh, I would urge all of your listeners to go to TED.com and look up an astronaut. His name is Chris Hadfield, H-A-D-F-I-E-L-D. He's a well-known astronaut, and he gave a, a fascinating talk on how to face your fears. 35 slides, no words.
0: No well, words.
1: No words. Think about that. Now, uh, he did have one table. Like he, had, he had one pie chart, and the pie chart was an image or a graphic, so it had a title to it. So technically, those were words. But other than that, there were no words. So in other words, he told a story. The slides complemented the story with visuals. Chris Hadfield. So that's the extreme. That's the extreme. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you go to the extreme. Because often, realistically, you have to send out your PowerPoint deck. So there has to be some kind of explanation there. You cannot just give an internal, uh, an internal discussion, especially in HR, let's say, with nothing but pictures. Yeah, Realistically, you can't do that. I'm just suggesting some of the great communicators can. They can do that. So Chris Hadfield is an extreme example, uh, but you need to have a nice balance. You need to have a balance of pictures and images and text. Uh, In Steve Jobs' presentation, Steve Jobs never had a slide with nothing but uh, headline and bullet points, headline, bullet points, which is kind of like what a standard slide looks like. He never had a slide like that. It was always pictures and text or pictures alone or text alone. But it wasn't simply just, hey, here's 10 bullet points in a row. That takes a little creativity, Jesse. It takes a little creativity, a little extra thought, and it takes a little confidence. You know, you got to have some confidence to pull that off, too. But it works.
0: And it requires some preparation and practice because so many business presenters Treat their words as their notes, and they, so they just sort of put everything they want to say on the slide, and then they use that to trigger what they want to say, which uh, I think that's going to lead us into the the fourth bonus item that uh, that you wanted to share with with us, which is which is uh, probably the number one habit of all the best presenters.
1: Which is practice mm-hmm. absolutely practice. Rehearse the TED speakers who I interview who are the ones who went from obscurity to fame and fortune. And there are a few that have done that. Bre Brenny Brown is now a best selling author. She's on in Oprah magazine every month. Uh she was a researcher. Yes, a social social science researcher in Houston, uh, who gave a talk on vulnerability and shame. And uh, Oprah discovered her. Uh, People like Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Anybody who has been to TED.com probably has heard of her. I think she gave the second most famous TED Talk of all time. I interviewed her. Do you know how many times she practiced her presentation? 200. Wow. 200 times. I would challenge any of our listeners today. (laughs) I would love to know who's ever practiced 200 times total for all of their presentations they've ever delivered. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's that is the difference. Absolutely. You have to uh review if this is a mission critical presentation. Not just a Monday uh, look, uh, a Monday morning update, you're not going to do this. I understand. But if it's mission critical, you're really trying to hire a top recruit, uh you are delivering you know, the presentation of your life that's really important to the CEO uh, or, you know, something that's more than just a, uh, an update, uh, then I would strongly encourage you to at least to practice every slide exactly as you would be delivering it, exactly as you would deliver it. So, and, and if you have to stand up in front of a group, stand up in your office. Uh, my staff always makes fun of me because we have windows and everyone can see into my office. So when I'm you know, rehearsing for a keynote talk. I'm I'm on my feet. I'm roaming around the office <laughs> talking to myself. Uh, I practice minimum a mi- for a 20 minute talk. I'll practice a minimum of 10 times. 10 minimum. I, I find that at least by the 10th time, you've got it down. You're very, very confident and comfortable. You know exactly what you're going to say. You, you know how you're going to start it. How you're going to end it. Um, and it kind of frees you up it gives you confidence because you 've done it before you 've done it ten times at least, so when you actually deliver it it 's ah oh, this is this is easy i 've already done it ten times
0: yeah, it just takes out a lot of that nervousness and you just come across a lot more polished and and able to connect with your audience and look at people in the eye and so many of the other communication tactics, if you will, uh, will fall into place if you if you 've done your practice.
1: And I think you might get a little pushback on that, Jesse. Some people uh, have told me, well, if you practice too much, you look fake. It looks, it looks practiced. It looks stilted or robotic. You actually have the best term, polished. Most people are not anywhere near polished. So you have plenty of room before you're going to start looking overly prepared. I've rarely seen anybody. There, every once in a while, you see somebody who you say, "Yeah, I think you've over—you know—you practiced a little too much because it doesn't sound authentic. It, you don't seem genuine, and that's something you have to be careful of." But I rarely see that. Uh, it's usually the opposite: is you're not polished enough to really make an impact.
0: Well, we've talked about uh, three secrets plus the bonus, and uh, those are to tell stories, to be brief, to favor pictures over text. And the bonus is to practice. And um, at least, would you say at least 10 times?
1: At least 10 times if it's an important presentation. And let's say it's about a 20 minute PowerPoint presentation that you're delivering, or whatever software you decide to use. I, I happen to use Apple Keynote, uh, but most most people still use uh, PowerPoint, and that's fine. I mean, I've seen great PowerPoint slides. I've seen bad PowerPoint slides. Uh, but I would practice a mission-critical presentation at least 10 times.
0: And when you put these principles into practice, it makes for a, not just a better presentation and a more polished presentation, but you're actually much more likely to have your ideas influence others and to be memorable. It's been, you mentioned Brene Brown. I think it's been a... Um, almost two years ago, since I saw her presentation, I saw it just once, and I still remember what I was thinking and feeling as I listened to that and and her main points. And even though she was a, a researcher, she told stories the whole time, and it was pretty brief. And she didn't uh, fill up her slides with lots of text, and it, she was polished, and she didn't. It didn't sound. She wasn't like a memorized. Uh, presentation necessarily where it sounded wrote it, it sounded natural and polished and, and very authentic.
1: You know, it's very interesting you brought that up because I forgot the slides. She did have presentations. She did have slides. You're absolutely right. Uh, and her slides were real simple. Just pictures or a word or two. Yep. And this presentation was powerful enough to get Oprah's attention, and it completely changed the trajectory of her life. So again, it's, its presentation skills are really powerful. You cannot underestimate how valuable a great presentation is to your career.
0: Well, Carmine Gallo, how can people find out more about you and this book and your
1: work? Two ways. If you just remember my name, you can find me online. Just go to CarmineGallo.com. It's a good Italian name. It couldn't be too hard to forget. (laughs) CarmineGallo.com, G-A-L-L-O. Or if you just want more information on the book itself, I've uploaded a a really nicely designed presentation. I had a professional design firm uh, create it, and so that might give you some inspiration. And we have videos there as well. And that's just, remember the name of the book, TalkLikeTed.com, TalkLikeTed.com.
0: Excellent. Well, Carmine Gallo, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader.
1: Thank you. This is a great audience, and I'm really happy I had the opportunity to share this content with them.
0: All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Again, the book is Talk Like Ted, The Nine Public Speaking Secrets of the World's Top Minds by Carmen Gallo, and we will provide the links and information that Carmen provided in our show notes for this episode. You can find those show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 87, as in episode 87, now, let me ask you, the next time you need to give an important presentation, are you going to put a bunch of bullet points on a PowerPoint and read them to your, to your audience? Yawn. If it's worth making a presentation, I assume you want to influence your audience, to make them care, make them seriously consider your ideas, make them remember and take action. In short, you want to fully engage your audience. I enjoyed the book, Talk Like Ted, and I think you will too. I think it can help you out. Let us know what you think about it. If you come to the show notes page, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts in the comments section. You might want to keep those brief. You might want to use the rule of three. You might want to show a picture in there, and you might even want to tell a story. I don't know. But you can also uh, engage with us by clicking the red send voicemail button or uh, get in touch with us at facebook.com forward slash engaging leader or on Twitter where I am at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, JJ Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.